morning. Good morning, everyone. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning and uh, for keeping um, Father Joe and uh, our congregants safe as they travel back from Israel tomorrow. Um, we, I pray that you would give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand your word today. And uh, thank you for the gift of your word and for our great fellowship here. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, Father Joe asked me to talk with you about uh, the ancient church of uh, Philadelphia. It is the sixth out of seven uh, of the churches that the Lord uh, gave words to John for. Um, John wrote letters to each of the churches, and all of these. Uh, I'm sorry. Is this better? Okay. Um, St. John was charged by the Lord to write seven letters to the seven churches. Um, and by the way, I have been listening to the podcasts of all of these teachings, even though I usually go to the evening service, and uh, they've been wonderful. Josh did a great job uh, last week, and um, uh, it's very helpful for me as I prepared uh, for this today. Um, the church in Philadelphia, or the city of Philadelphia, uh, was founded in 189 B.C., it was part of the Kingdom of Lydia. The, uh, the city is located in western Turkey. Uh, King Eumenes of Lydia, uh, he, he wasn't Roman, uh, but he was friends with the Romans. They were very allied with Romans, the, the kingdom of, uh, with the Romans. Uh, the Kingdom of Lydia uh, was eventually bequeathed to Rome. Uh, by uh, Eumenes' younger brother, Attalus II, when he died. So it passed into Roman control at a later date. Um, but the city of Philadelphia was named uh, by King Eumenes in honor of his brother. It, it means one who loves his brother. And, um, and so that's how the name came about. We all learned that about our Philadelphia in America, that it was, uh, it's called the city of brotherly love. That's what this was about too. Um, the uh, city of Philadelphia has always uh, sat on elevated ground within a valley, commanding the fertile plain of the Hermus uh, River, which is now called the River Gades um, in modern times. Uh, in 1338, the Turks captured Philadelphia and renamed it Al-Sahir, and that's what it's named today. It's called Al-Sahir, which means City of God in Arabic. It, has, it was for many centuries a center of, uh, of Christianity for both the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox churches. 
through the Middle Ages, when the city, uh, until the city was captured by the Turks. Uh, there are ruins of churches there today, uh, but I couldn't find any operational churches uh, in, in my searches on the internet. Um, I did find some ruins, and uh, the picture that I set on your table is, uh, is that of the ruins of the St. John's Basilica that was built in 600 A.D. And uh, it uh, has long been destroyed. Uh, there has been a great deal of destruction in that city. It's, prone to earthquakes, which is important to our passage today, and also uh, there has, has been a lot of unrest and a lot of warfare uh, over, over many, many years, uh, which uh, is still going on today. Uh, I don't know if you're hearing about the Greeks and the Turks and their conflicts in the news. Uh, it's, uh, this is a continuation of what's been going on for centuries. So, um, at this time, there are no operational churches. There are 45 mosques in the city. Uh, it is uh, essentially a Muslim city, although if you're a venturer as a tourist, you can find uh, the ruins uh, of, of some areas where Christians uh, met and uh, church buildings. The basilica is one big one. I couldn't find any older ones, but I, I thought it, the pillars were very beautiful and um, very related to our teaching today. The whole city was burned to the ground in 1922 in the Greco-Turkish War. And, uh, and so it's, it's seen its share of problems. But back in the day, this city was very, very prosperous. It was, uh, it, it was called Philadelphia, and uh, it has always been known for as a prosperous um, farming city uh, with um, wine and fruit production. Uh, it's fam famous for its hot mineral springs, so it was always a holiday spot for uh, the ancient world. People like to go on vacation there because of the hot springs. It is a volcanic area and, uh, and so uh, the hot springs are um, uh, even popular even to this day. Um, when John wrote his letter, Philadelphia was nicknamed Little Athens and it was considered a missionary city but not in the way we would think. Uh, it was a missionary city that was supposed to spread Greek culture, and uh, that would involve art, architecture, literature, music, philosophy, and of course all the pagan religions. Dionysius was the patron god there because of their wine production. He's the god of wine and festivities. Um, and um, Likely, uh, the Roman emperor was probably worshipped there also. Uh, again, this, this region is subject to earthquakes, and in 17 AD, Philadelphia experienced an earthquake so severe that Emperor Tiberius sent them a grant to rebuild. 
At, at the time of John's writing, the people of Philadelphia were experiencing frightening tremors every day, and that's the backdrop uh, of what the Lord is saying to this, uh, to this church uh, in the passage uh, we're discussing today. Um, I would like for someone to read our passage. It's uh, Revelation 3. Anybody want to read it? Starting at verse 7. Okay, right. It's uh, 7 through 13. Yeah, you you want you want my Bible? All right. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write: These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you. Okay, what is the characteristic of this letter in light of many of the other letters that we've heard about? What is the? That's right. Um, and Jesus was uh, asking John to write to the the seven churches to basically give them a report card uh, with regard to their service and their performance as Christians, and uh, and their and the mission of spreading the gospel throughout the known world. Uh, the only other church that didn't receive a, a rebuke besides Philadelphia is the church in Smyrna. They were also very praised of the Lord and, and seemed to have been undergoing some of, of the similar uh, uh, persecutions and hardships. Um, they, they're strikingly similar to each other in terms of his response to them. Um, at the beginning of the letter, we see the salutation, just like all the others, where we're introduced to the actual author of the letter through the prophet John, the prophet and apostle, and, and he is called the Holy One. 
the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. And this is, who is this? It's Jesus. And Jesus is the one with the key of David. Whenever you see a, a reference to David in the New Testament, you're probably talking about Jesus. Uh, he's the heir of David. He's the Messiah through the line of David. And he's the one with the key of David. Uh, there is a reference to the key of David in Isaiah uh, chapter 22, 22, in which God give, gave the key of David uh, actually to a lowly servant uh, after he threw down another servant and put somebody else in his place. A very, uh, his name was Elkiah, and he was just uh, a, a helper in, in, in the palace. And God gave him great authority, and that's how God works. He gave, he gave all authority to a humble carpenter on heaven and, that is in heaven and earth, and he tends to favor the humble. And um, I just thought that was kind of an interesting reference back to the Old Testament. And there really isn't anything more Old Testament than, uh, than Revelation. It's, it's just full of references to uh, uh, the people of Israel and uh, how Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies uh, of the Old Testament. And Jesus says to them, Look, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And he's, he's giving them encouragement. He's giving them a great deal of comfort that he knows what they're going through. Uh, but he has opened for them a door. And references to open and shut doors are throughout the New Testament, especially Paul talked about open and shut doors of ministry uh, and um, uh, how he was given an open door in one place or uh, found that he had a closed door in another place. Uh, where he wanted to go. He wanted to visit Corinth. All he could do was write to them. Circumstances kept him from going, but he had open doors in Ephesus and in a town called Troas and, uh, and different places. Um, and there's a lot about praying for open doors. And I just want to hear from you guys, your experiences with open doors and shut doors. Does anyone have an experience where, the, where you've prayed for an open door and God gave it to you? Or you wanted to do something and God shut the door? Anybody? Sissy? My senior year, um, applying for a college. Okay, that's a good one. And I went to another college, and it was wonderful. So. And so the Lord uh, led you through the open and shut door. And, and so uh, we've, I'm sure we've all had experiences like this where, you know, 
they say, you know, we plan, God laughs. Uh, there's, there's a lot of that. Um, uh, but sometimes he op- when he opens a door, nobody can shut it. You, he is going to make a way for you. So watch for the open door. And uh, as the Proverbs say, lean not on your own understanding because you never know where he's going to lead you through that open door. And so there's a lot of this going on. And I also thought this was interesting in terms of uh, Philadelphia being a missionary city. Uh, It was a pagan missionary city, but God was using it for the Christians to spread the gospel. And 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 that really is an open door for them, that they can use the infrastructure of this city uh, to bring the gospel to that whole region. Uh, and, and this city, by the way, is about 38 miles from Sardis, so it's not very far from the church that Josh, Josh was talking about last week. Um, he says, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but are lying, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Um, I went to a commentary by um, famous theologian N.T. Wright uh, to to find out about this uh, synagogue of Satan and what that was. And uh, he has a discussion. He has a, a, an excellent book called uh, Re- Revelation for Everyone. And he has a series. It's called the For Everyone series. And he ha- pretty much goes through every book of the Bible. And, uh, and this is an excellent commentary. Okay, he, he discusses uh, in his book... Uh, as in the letter of Smyrna, and of course the synagogue of Satan was, was mentioned in the letter to Smyrna as well, we have here an indication that the synagogue community was using its civic status to block the advance of the message about Israel's Messiah, Jesus, a message so very Jewish and yet so challenging to Jewish people. We should not imagine a church on one street corner and a synagogue on another as in many cities today. We should imagine a Jewish community of several thousand with its own buildings and community life and a church of probably two or three dozen at most holding on to uh, the highly improbable and extremely risky claim that the God of Israel had raised Jesus from the dead. That imbalance goes some way to help us explain what is now being said. Now, in in the ancient world, in these regions, it was the law, it was required under the law of the pagan rulers that you had to worship the emperor, the Roman emperor, and you had to worship the pagan gods. Well, the Jews uh, um, were exempt from this. Uh, It was an agreement that they didn't have to bow down to other gods in order to keep the peace. And uh, we see that relationship between uh, the, the Jews and the Roman leaders where there's a, a tenuous peace between them when Jesus was walking the earth. 
it, this was continuing on and that exemption had for a short time apparently been extended to the Christians who were considered a Jewish sect. There really was no difference between Christians and Jews until the Jews started to ostracize the Christians and cast them out of the synagogues and, uh, and started bad-mouthing them to the pagan rulers. And uh, very much the way the Pharisees and the Sadducees had used the Romans to uh, execute uh, our Lord Jesus, uh, these groups, uh, these leaders that were like the Pharisees and the Sadducees were using the pagan rulers as a weapon against uh, the Christians uh, without getting their hands dirty. Pardon me, I got dry mouth. And <clears throat> Jesus is talking about them as a synagogue of Satan. What does, what does Satan mean? What does the word mean? Does anybody know? Deceiver. I'm sorry? Deceiver. De deceiver, he is a deceiver. What's the translation of the, of the word? It's uh, Hebrew, I believe. It means adversary. And, uh, and the New Testament uh, does describe uh, Satan uh, as uh, an, an adversary, but also as a deceiver, an accuser, a liar, and a murderer, and a destroyer. And so uh, this is the image that we have of this particular group. And N.T. Wright, uh, I, I want to emphasize something that he said I thought was really interesting, that this is, this is not an, um, an anti-Jewish issue. Jesus isn't being anti-Jewish when he talks about this synagogue of Satan. And he's actually, he's actually saying... Um, that this is a discussion, this is a struggle within Judaism, not against Judaism. Um, the early church firmly clung to the ancient Jewish hope and the ancient Jewish scriptures, and they claimed that they were all fulfilled in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. So, N.T. Wright is, is very <coughs> adamant that the Christian message, the gospel, is Jewish through and through. Jewish to the core. Why would he call Christians Jewish to the core? Does anybody have any idea, idea about well, that? Well, yes, because Jesus was a Jew. Very good. Jesus was a Jew. Our, uh, um, our Savior is a, was and continues to be a Jew in heaven, uh, uh, sitting next to the Father. And uh, what else? Why, why else would, have, would they call themselves, would they think of themselves as Jewish? By the way, the, this congregation was probably a mixture of ethnic Jews and ethnic Gentiles at this point in history uh, because all of, all of the original Christians were Jewish. All the apostles were Jewish. All of the followers were Jewish. Um, really, uh, Gentiles didn't start joining the church until Pentecost. 
not as far as I know, unless somebody can point that out in terms of followers. Uh, Jesus did heal some Gentiles and answer some Gentiles when they asked for assistance, uh, but all of his followers were Jewish. So what is it about Christianity that is so Jewish? And why does N.T. Wright say that this struggle in the, in the first century is, is really a struggle within Judaism and not against it? Exactly. Exactly. Well, there were actually a number of Jewish move, movements uh, in, in this time period, and Christianity was one of them. Uh, there was a, a movement of militant Jews in, uh, related to uh, Qumran uh, and, uh, and, you know, having to do with... Um, you know, rising up against the Romans. There were movements like that. They wanted to uh, raise a, an army uh, to get rid of the Romans. And uh, ultimately, this led to uh, what happened in 70 AD, the sacking of Jerusalem and the destruction of the Jewish temple. So it's, it's N.T. Wright is, is very, very... Um, adamant that, that, that the church in Philadelphia and all of the church, we're all Jewish. We're Jewish people. And whether we're ethnically Jew, Jewish or uh, grafted into the vine by faith as Gentiles. So this, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. Uh, the original promise to Abraham was that, he, that in him all nations would be blessed. And Abraham was chosen to bring forth the Messiah. Um, I wanted to um, point out uh, that the Jews, the Jews were exempt, as I said before, the Jews were exempted from having to bow down to pagan gods or to the uh, emperor uh, when they distanced themselves from the Christians and started to badmouth the Christians. The Christians became very exposed because they were no, they were not exempt, but they also would not bow down to any pagan god. And so this, this is why Jesus is so upset with this synagogue of Satan. They're adversaries of the gospel, and they're setting themselves up, up as adver adversaries, very similar to what he experienced when he was on earth. Um, and I wanted to give you some references to this, hearkening back uh, to the gospels. In Matthew 3, 7 through 9, and, and this is about talking, what it, what it, talking about what it means to be a real Jew is, is important in this passage. Uh, John the Baptist says uh, uh, to the Sadducees and the Pharisees who are coming down uh, to be baptized in Matthew 3, starting at verse 7, it says, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, 
you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. So he's saying to them, be, be a real Jew, repent. Otherwise, God will just make some out of the rocks. He doesn't need you if, you don't, if you're not willing to repent. Uh, again, in John 8, Jesus is having conversation with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and uh, other Jewish leaders. And, uh, and they're getting upset at, at him for speaking with such authority. And talking about them, like he says, uh, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they said, what do you mean set us free? We're, we're not slaves to anybody. We're descendants of Abraham. And he said, anybody who uh, sins is a slave to sin. So he was talking about their slavery to their sins, not physical slavery. And getting people to think in a spiritual sense was part of what Jesus uh, did in his teachings uh, and uh, you know to look at, at uh, the spiritual meaning of what he was talking about as opposed to earthly um, temporary concerns and uh, they answered him Abraham is our father Jesus said to them if you were Abraham's children you would be doing what Abraham did but now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is, this is not what Abraham did. You are indeed doing what your father does. They said to him, we are not illegitimate children. We have one father, God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your, your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now I am here. I did not come on my own, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot accept my word. You are from your father, the devil, and you ch choose to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Um, so this again is Jesus saying, just because you're, you're physically descended from Abraham doesn't make you a Jewish person. And uh, it doesn't make you a, a true descendant of Abraham because Abraham was chosen of God because of his faith, not because of his race. And he is the father of it all who have faith. And that is a multicultural experience in the church of the Lord. And, uh, and it was his, he was chosen to bring forth the Messiah and to bring salvation to all nations. Uh, first to Israel and then to everyone else. So it's the Jew first, as Paul said, and then the Gentile. So the Jewish people are very, very honored um, that God chose them to bring forth the Messiah to save us all.
Um, talked a little bit, and, and I don't have a whole lot more time, but I want to talk a little bit about the earthquakes in Philadelphia and why it was so important for Jesus to talk the way he did to the, to the church there about, about what they are. And he talks about them in terms of making them a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. I will write on you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. And I, I gave you a picture with pillars that are still standing. I just think that's really interesting that the pillars of, uh, of that basilica are still standing even though this is an earthquake prone area, even though there have been so many wars. You can see scorch marks all over it. Um, that, that city again was burned to the ground by the Turks uh, back in 1922. Uh, a lot of destruction and people were used to buildings fought, just toppling down because of tremors and, uh, and earthquakes. So this is important that Jesus is calling the church in Philadelphia a pillar in the temple. And what is, what is the temple? Who's the, who's the temple or what is the temple? We are the temple. Jesus, Jesus also. Jesus was the, uh, the temple of God uh, here on earth. And then when the Holy Spirit came, we also became the temple of God. We're a temple that is not made with hands. And so it's a temple that cannot be destroyed. And so the, this location, this city, the physical city, is not as important as the uh, spiritual city of the people of God who have been made into a temple for God as, as a dwelling place forever. And, uh, and, and um, also I wanted to talk about uh, what Paul said about the circumcision of the heart. If you want to uh, look at that, he, he said it, he talks about who is really a Jew um, is not the one who is, is a Jew outwardly with the circumcision, but the one who has the circumcision of the heart. And everyone can have that, whether they're Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free. Um, the circumcision of the heart is available to anyone, and that, what, that is what makes us a, a true descendant of Abraham. And um, and so uh, Jesus uh, talks to them about their patient endurance. Um, he's telling them that he's praising them for their patient endurance. Uh, he knows the hour, he knows that an hour of trial is coming. Uh, some theologians believe that that is. Uh, the destruction of the temple and uh, the sacking of Jerusalem in 70 AD that he's referring to. Uh, it's, it's a test that comes on the inhabitants of the whole earth. And I thought, well, if it's just, if it's just that one event in Jerusalem, what does it have to do with all the inhabitants of the whole world? But if you really study what happened in 70 AD, it changed everything forever for everyone all over the world. It arguably led to World War II, 
because the, all the Jews ended up fleeing uh, the, uh, Jerusalem and the Middle East, and they were exiled into many, uh, into many countries, uh, uh, especially in Europe. They, they fled north, and uh, some of them ended up in America eventually. Um, you know, a, a lot of attitudes changed. It affect, ev affected everything that the Jews were once again dispersed from their homeland. And, um, and so this is a, a, global ish, a, a global event, really, what happens in, uh, in Jerusalem in 70 AD. But he is praising the church for their patient endurance. He's uh, um, telling them if they conquer uh, and if they're victorious, he's going to make them a pillar in the temple of, the, of, of God, which is comforting in an earthquake zone. Um, and, uh, and he's saying, he's really telling them that they are real, real Jewish people. And that he, he is saying these, these folks who are opposing you aren't real Jews and you are because you keep my word and you do what I say and you believe on me and you love me. And, and then, but there's hope for these people, even the synagogue of Satan. He says they're going to come to you and bow down before you and admit and know they'll learn that I have loved you. And so... That's repentance. That means that they're going to come and repent at the feet of the Christians after mistreating them, and there's going to be a re reconciliation. They're going to learn it the hard way, Jesus said, but they will learn it. Um, I don't know all that happened to the Philadelphians. Uh, they were um, uh, apparently kept from uh, any destruction in 70 AD, but they also were martyred right next to St. Polycarp in 155 B.C., uh, I mean A.D. Yes? Sorry. When do you think Revelation was written? Revelation was written, John was an old man, so it would have been written between the time of the, asc the ascension and, um, and 70 A.D., so it's, that's, that's my assumption, um, because John was still alive. Although there's a legend that he's alive today. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah <I> would, <laughs> that he's still alive today, which I, I think would make a great novel, by the way, if anybody <laughs> wants to write it. Um, and so what are, what are your thoughts about this? What do we have to learn from the church in Philadelphia? Jesus thinks they're, they're doing a great job. What are they doing right? Stay with the patient. Stay with the patient. And the promise of his coming. Exactly. Exactly. And it was written in 96 AD. Okay. All right. The book, the book of Revelation was written in 96? Or thereabouts. And sometime between 95 and 110, depending upon which school of thought you sit with. So are they saying St. John didn't write it? No. That's not what they're saying. He must have been well over is, 100, 100 years is, old. It's when John was with Jesus in his ministry, it's thought 
that John was a very young boy and he lived way beyond Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And he was still alive in the 90s. And that he, a, a big school believes that he wrote it. Another school believes that one of his disciples wrote it. Uh, you take your choice on whichever school yeah. you want to study. It, it wasn't uncommon for people to write in the name of their mentor. Yeah. Um, so it may have been somebody who had sat under John as a teacher. Um, take, take your choice. Yeah. Because nobody can, well, a lot of people do, but nobody can really sit down and say it was so and so or it was so and so. Well, I was just yeah. I was just surmising that it must have been the the great hour of trial must have been 70 A.D. Uh, because because I don't know what else it would be. Um, does anybody have any idea? Because the scholars really didn't know. Except except it was said that some do believe it was the destruction of the temple. Some do believe that, but there are schools of thought. Yeah different schools of thought. That's true. Some believe it hasn't occurred yet. I, I read someone who said that, um, but the church in Philadelphia has, they were martyred in 155 AD, so um, I, I don't see, you know, they, live, they lived a long time, um, but I don't know what kind of great trial Jesus would have been talking about that would affect the whole earth if it wasn't uh, uh, the event in Jerusalem. So um, it's that's for more study. That's more depth in depth study than what I did. That's for sure. Um, anyway, um, I do I do recommend N.T. Wright's uh, commentary. It is very accessible, easy to read. Um, he actually, this guy actually knows his Greek and Hebrew so well that he, that he will sit and translate a Greek New Testament while he's talking to somebody in an interview. Um, he does his own translations. And so he's, he, he's a really smart guy. I, and I know uh, Father Joe uh, likes him a lot too. Um, so lots of promises, lots of encouragement, lots of comfort. Uh, let's do what the Philadelphians did. Let's be patient. Uh, let's endure. Um, and let's uh, stick together and love one another. And, uh, and let's um, study our Bibles, fellowship, and pray. You did a very nice job. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. And let's go to church.